0: Welcome to the First Prez podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at www.first-prez.org. Not exactly sure how to follow that, but... Uh... What a what a blessing to us this morning. I want to invite you, if you uh, have your print Bibles, to turn to actually print Bible, electronic, whatever you've got, to turn to the book of Jonah. It's going to be more challenging for those of you with print Bibles because Jonah is only two pages near the end of the Old Testament, and so you may want to… Start working your way back from the New Testament until you find it, or in a few moments, we'll have the words up in front of us as well. This spring, we are exploring seven different stories in the Old Testament to see what we can learn about God's story and how our story is intertwined with his. The first two weeks, we looked at Esther and Gideon, two people who faithfully stepped into the moment that God had for them. Today, not so much. And so let's ask God to lead us in our reading of his word before we do. Let's pray together. Oh, holy God, once again, as this act of worship, we come before your table of your word and we pray that you would feed us, that you would speak to us. Lord, that your spirit would touch each of us in those places we need to hear from you this day and how we thank you that your desire for that is even greater than our own. And so once again we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that would be receptive to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Begin reading with Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds, or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish." When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. When our children were little, we had a week's vacation one year in Utah and I thought it would be a great idea to take the kids fishing for the first time. Now I hadn't been fishing myself for probably 30 years since my own growing up years and as I started remembering those years, I remembered the hours spent without even a nibble. I remembered hooks that got stuck on rocks. I remember weather that wasn't always accommodating and I began to wonder if this was really such a good idea. And so, we got to Utah, and I did some research, and with apologies to all of you who love to fish, I took our kids to a trout farm. (laughs) They put their line in the water, and yes, they did have to wait five seconds, (laughs) ten seconds, boom. And everybody was happy that day. The kids had their fish, and I could check off the box, went fishing with the kids. (laughs) And you know, my only real regret actually came this week when I realized we hadn't taken any pictures of them with their fish. Because I so wanted to Photoshop those fish until they were as big as our kids. Isn't that what happens with fish stories as time goes on? Well, when we turn to the book of Jonah, our thoughts usually tend to go to this large fish that swallowed him. But this isn't a story about a fish. As incredible a part of the story as this was, this fish is only referred to in three of the 48 verses of this book. Former pastor Lloyd Ogilvie once noted that as great as this fish was, it actually pales in comparison to the three greatest things that God did in the New Testament. Christ's atoning sacrifice for our sins on the cross, his resurrection, and the Holy Spirit given to us on Pentecost. This also isn't really primarily a story about Jonah, even though he does take center stage for so much of it. This is ultimately a story about God and in it we are given glimpses of what he values and of how he acts and indirectly this is also our story. As we consider how we would respond in those moments when God calls us to something. And as we are encouraged by seeing the good that God could bring even when we are not always fully on the same page with him. Well, for us to fully appreciate the, the passage we have today from Jonah 3, we need to understand the backstory to it. Jonah was given an assignment he did not want. Most of the other Old Testament prophets spoke to their own people in their own land. But Jonah was sent to one of Israel's greatest enemies. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which had invaded Palestine again and again. And their attacks in the 8th and the 7th centuries BC directly led to the fall of the northern kingdom. And so Jonah's solution was to run away from God. And he got on a ship that was sailing 1,800 miles in the opposite direction. Now, friends, this was not one of the wiser moves we read about in the Bible. For Jonah was thrown overboard into the ocean, he was swallowed by a large fish. And then we're told he was vomited by that fish onto dry land. And after all of this, he ended up right where God had told him to go in the first place. And that brings us to our passage today. Let's look again at our first two verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. These first two verses here reveal the relentlessness of God's love and purpose. Jonah runs, God pursues. Jonah is thrown into the sea, God saves. Jonah makes a mess of things, God returns to him again and gives him a second chance to do things right. And what an encouragement this is for our own story. Just a little earlier in worship, we had our time of confession. And this is a time when we acknowledge that there is something of Jonah within each of us. For we too resist. We also fall short. And we also can sometimes make a mess of things. But there is nowhere we can go. And nothing we can do that God's redemptive love won't follow us. Again and again he returns to us. As well, even when we feel undeserving of his relentless pursuit. And then verses 3 and 4. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, if anyone would have been considered a lost cause in those days, it would have been the Ninevites. The city was actually referred to as the city of blood because of the violence of its population. One of its rulers, Asher Dan III, was known for inventing new methods of torture. And they had other practices that just aren't appropriate to mention in a family-friendly sermon. And so into this city of 120,000 came one lone person with a message from God. Though Jonah is one of the 12 smaller prophetic books in the Old Testament referred to as the Minor Prophets, it actually only contains eight words of prophecy And it wasn't even a very inviting message. Jonah simply announced God's judgment, offering no hope of saving grace. And given what we've already learned about Jonah, it wouldn't be a surprise if his heart wasn't even in that message. But then something happens that's every bit as amazing as this large fish. In fact, it's so incredible, we need to look at it in its entirety. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This violent enemy was receptive to Jonah's message. Nowhere else in the Bible does it record such a massive revival as what happened here in Nineveh. We're told all of the people responded with incredible humbleness. Fasting and sackcloth were signs of a great repentance. And even the king himself responded leaving his throne, removing all of his symbols of authority sitting in the ashes. He called the people who were known for evil and violence to give it up. And he says, who knows? Maybe God will have compassion. Well, God did have compassion. The people were saved, and Jonah was ticked. And in the final chapter after this one, we find him referring to form, angry, pouting, even wishing he could die because of how he saw God's grace being poured out. And we are left with a contrast between a humble responsiveness of an evil nation and the hard-heartedness and hard-headedness of one of God's own servants. In his book, Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby encourages us to find out where God is at work and join him there. One of the great tensions of this book is that Jonah wants nothing to do with where God is at work. He had his own understanding of what should happen and of how God should treat Israel's enemy. And he knew God well enough to know that his compassion just might turn things around. And Jonah didn't want to be any part of that. You know, it's tempting, isn't it, for us to second-guess God at times? We believe that our own mental storyline of how things should be really is what's best. And in our own limited perspective, we forget that the story God is writing has a much larger narrative in mind. God is writing something more beautiful, something more purposeful than any of us could ever come up with on our own. And Jonah reminds us that in the long run, we are far better off coming around to God's story than insisting that he come around to our own. You know, for many centuries, people believed that our universe revolved around the earth until Copernicus came along and we eventually learned that no, everything revolves around the sun. We revolve around something else. And I think of that image when it comes to my own life. For much of the time, my sin nature wants to keep me at the center. And whatever details of the small story I'm writing, I want that to be the way things go. And I suspect I am not alone. And so every day I'm faced with a choice. Will my actions revolve around my agenda and my desires or will they revolve around God's? And guess what? You get to make that same daily choice. God invites each of us to join him in his story of redemption that he is writing in our lives and in our world. And this particular story of Jonah helps us better understand the author of our larger story. And so let's note very briefly three glimpses that we are given and then consider questions with each that can help our story be most aligned with God's. First, we see a loving God whose love extends to those who are tremendously undeserving of it. The author of this book almost ridicules every step Jonah takes. And by the end of the book, we find ourselves wondering, why in the world did God choose him? But you see, Jonah provides as much of a window into God's patient, pursuing love as do the Ninevites someone we might easily give up on or at the very least throw our hands up in the air about is still loved by God. And it seems to me that longer we are on our faith journey, the easier it is for us to eventually take God's love for us for granted because it becomes so familiar. We get so used to it. And Jonah reminds us that we are loved not because of anything we bring, but because God's capacity to love is deeper than what we deserve. And so my first question for us, how is my life different today as a result of God's love? Can we say it's different If so, how? If not, why? The second thing we see in this story is ascending God. You see, God has a deep desire to include more within his kingdom than are already there. And this desire led to an unusual call to Jonah to be his messenger to the Ninevites, because God knew they had a spiritual receptivity even if Jonah didn't know it was there. And then at a later time, God sent Jesus from heaven into our world so that you and I could be included among his people. And if you have a personal relationship with God, and I hope you do, it's probably because you were influenced by someone God sent into your life. Today God sends us, and if we're honest, there may be times we are as unenthusiastic about this as Jonah, because we know how strongly others around us already believe what they do, and we're not sure what to say, and we're not sure how to approach but in the same way, God used a half-hearted messenger to touch the hearts of these violent Ninevites. He can use us as well. I love what our lead pastor Tim wrote in this week's eblast when he said, every time someone takes a turn to Christ, it comes as a surprise on some level. Something new happens. Something different and unexpected. And so our second question is, where outside these walls is God sending me to be a messenger of his love? Who is God calling each of us to have a faithful presence with? You know, 49 years ago, this church felt sent into the community to come alongside the lives of children and prepare them for school. And we have had countless volunteers over the years who have felt sent into this ministry in a way that hundreds of children have been blessed and we have been blessed by that experience. Finally, we see a forgiving God. These Ninevites were a ruthless, violent people who revealed God's ability and desire to forgive. And even Jonah, who defied, ran away from, and questioned God, wasn't beyond God's grace. That's because God's forgiveness is not linked to whether we clean up well. It's all about his nature and his character. And I like the way author Dan Schmidt put it when he said, Not only does Jonah announce the offer of grace to people who in no way deserve it, but the prophet goes on to prove that he himself is not even worthy of it, which is exactly the point. One does not earn grace one simply stands under it like rain, allowing its cool refreshment to fill the dry cracks. And then one picks up a bucket and dumps it on someone else. Friends, our salvation is the central plot to the story that God is writing And Jesus came to restore our relationship with him. And God longs for us to experience his love and his grace on such a deep level that we feel compelled to want to share it with others. And so our final question, where in my life do I need God's forgiving grace? And can we believe that no sin in our lives is bigger than God's ability to forgive? Let me say that again. No sin in our lives, none, is bigger than God's ability to forgive. You know, the book of Joan, Jonah ends much more abruptly than most. There's no uh, sentence at the end that kind of ties everything together. The book simply ends with God asking Jonah a question. And so, who knows whether Jonah ever got his act together enough that he eventually became more willingly aligned with God's story. Who knows What change was brought about in the lives of the Ninevites who repented? What we do know is that God's story found in Jonah has continued down through the years. And we are part of it today. For God loves each of us more deeply than we will ever know. He sends others to us as messengers of his love and does that for others through us. And he longs for us to ask his forgiveness so that when we receive it, we will remain in relationship with him forever. Each day, we have a choice: will we live out our own story? Or will we live out the larger narrative that God is writing? My hope and prayer is that we will choose the second. And when that's the case, who knows what God might do with that? Let's pray together. Oh, holy God, thank you for this story, not of a polished up saint, but someone we can relate to and identify perhaps even more than we like to admit. Lord, we pray that you would take these words, that you would encourage us with your love, that you would remind us that we are sent, and Lord, that we would always know that we can bring any sin to you, and that your grace is greater than our bad. Lord God, thank you for a love that will not end, that is relentless and pursuing for the Ninevites, for Jonah, and for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.